Um, because the uh, because the passage is a long one, I'm going to read it through and interpret it as I go. Um, this is uh, not my standard way, but it is. I've checked in our book of order; it's legal. So, um, uh, so um, we're reading today the story of Pentecost, and uh, you can find it on the insert in your bulletin. So, uh, this is not the translation I usually use. Um, this is my uh, this is my reading translation. So I've got other translations I use for study. But the wonderful thing about Pentecost is we hear about speaking in tongues. We understand that we have a spirit who helps us to understand. So uh, our translations are trustworthy because God uh, closes that gap for us. So uh, listen for God's word to you. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. So Pentecost is a holiday in the in the Jewish religion. We talked about how last week there's three holidays in the Jewish religion um, and Pentecost is one of the two harvest festivals. It's the one in the spring, so or late late spring, early summer. It, it literally Pentecost means fifty, and uh, it's fifty days after the previous holiday. So uh, in the Jewish religion, it's called Shavuot, which means weeks. It is a week of weeks. It's forty nine days plus one after um, after the previous uh, holiday. So uh, it's a regular holiday. People come from all over the area. And uh, they're actually mandated to do so. So all the all the Jewish uh, uh, observant Jews would have come to Jerusalem, and so the believers are among them. The believers in Jesus are among them. They're meeting together in one place, and suddenly there was a sound from heaven, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them the ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. And when they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Uh, this is This is a cultural note. Uh, Galilee was famous for people who could never get over their accent. They had kind of a, a hick accent. They were from the northern part of the country. And so people who were from Galilee stood out. Some of you may remember when Jesus was arrested and on trial, uh, people were commenting on Peter's accent, that his accent showed he was a Galilean. So, so Galileans couldn't even learn to speak Hebrew correctly, according to the culture at the time. And here they are speaking all these other languages as well. So they're saying, how could that be? And then they give this long list. Uh, here we are. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia. So these are people to the east, off in the direction of Iraq and Iran. So uh, all those countries. Uh, Judea, which is the, the surrounding area, it's south of Galilee. It's the area around Jerusalem. Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia. Those are to the north. Those are up in what we would call today Asia Minor or Turkey. So uh, people from those areas. Um, Egypt and the areas of Libya around Cyrene. So that's people off to the west along the African coast. Um, visitors from Rome. Uh, Rome is in Italy. Uh, Cretans, that's people from the island of Crete. So kind of a gloss on people from uh, uh, to the east, off in the direction of uh, Greece and, and that, those places. And then Arabs. Arabs are to the south and east. So they're kind of in their own category. So they basically are saying they're working the whole compass. And they're saying people from all over the place and we hear people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. 
They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk, that's all. This is a kind of a loose translation. What, what, the, what, a, what a very uh, wooden translation would say is, is that they are filled with new wine. And so there's kind of a play here. Um, the, the, the people are filled with the Holy Spirit, but there's skeptics in the crowd who say, well, they're full of something, but what they're full of is wine. They're filled with wine. So Peter then um, comes forward in verse 14. Peter stepped forward with the other 11 apostles and shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even upon my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. Just a quick aside, um, oftentimes in our culture today, when the church uh, uh, does things related to fire, um, I think a lot of non-believers assume that when the church references fire, we're talking about hellfire. But in fact, if you look through the Old Testament, what you find is that by far uh, the references to fire that, that relate to God are, are by far outnumbering any references to fire that relate to hell. So we, we hear about you know the fire on the mountain of Sinai when Moses went up to get his, his Ten Commandments or the fire that came down um, on Mount Carmel, when Elijah confronted the prophets of Baal. There's this imagery throughout the Old Testament, including here in the book of uh, Joel, that, that God is associated with fire. Um, we read that God is a consuming fire in places. So, so uh, the sun will become dark, the moon will become uh, blood red, uh, associated with all these fire and smoke. That means that God is fully present. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So that's the quote that Peter Peter reads from Joel or, or uh, recites from Joel. And then he continues on. He says, People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. He says, this was 50 days ago. You were part of the crowd here for the last holiday. You were here in the crowd when Jesus was arrested, tried, convicted, and executed. So you know about this. But God knew, too. God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed with the help of lawless Gentiles, uh, people who, who were not part of the Jewish religion. You nailed him to a cross and killed him, but God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. King David said this about him, I see that the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and my tongue shouts his praises, my body rests in hope, for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You have shown me the way of life, and you will fill me with the joy of your presence. And Peter says, Dear brothers, think about this. You can be sure the patriarch David wasn't referring to himself, for he died and was buried, and his tomb is still here among us. But he was a prophet, and he knew that God had promised with an oath that one of David's own descendants would sit on his throne. David was looking into the future and speaking of the Messiah's resurrection. He was saying that God would not leave him among the dead or allow his body to rot in the grave. God raised 
Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. Now he is exalted to the highest uh, place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us, just as you see and hear today. So he's saying here that, that Jesus rose on Easter. He, he hung out with people. He, he saw uh, all the disciples. Um, at one point, he appeared to uh, over 500 people. He was uh, all over the Holy Land from Galilee to Jerusalem. Lots of people saw him. He says, we're witnesses to this. Um, so if you don't buy the scripture, then how about eyewitness accounts instead? He says, um, uh, David saw this coming, but even if you don't understand or appreciate that, that interpretation of scripture, we've got a whole bunch of eyewitnesses who can tell you the same thing. So he says, uh, David himself never ascended into heaven, yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, the Lord God, the, the capital Lord is God, the Lord God said to my Lord, the Messiah, the Lord said to the Messiah, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. So let everyone in Israel, Peter continues, know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? And Peter replies, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and even to the Gentiles, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued his preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourself from this crooked generation. Those who believed what uh, Peter, uh, crooked generation, this is a reference to Deuteronomy. Moses calls Israel a crooked generation. If you remember in the song, it said, take away our bent to sinning. I've got a car that's got a reconditioned title. That means it was it was in an accident, and they don't know for sure it runs, but maybe the frame's bent in a way that will cause you trouble, so you get a title that says, this car's been totaled before. Uh, there's this theological idea that, that uh, since the fall in the garden, people are bent. We have a bent to sinning. So Moses says, this this generation is crooked. They're they're bent, and they have this kind of this kind of tendency to do the wrong thing. And that's what he's saying. Save yourself from this crooked generation. And those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So you may have noticed uh, this is Pentecost. We've got uh, a color scheme here. Uh, we've got um, artwork, new artwork up on the on the wall. We've got uh, pyramids. We've got uh, table dressings. We've got the carpet and the benches done specially for the occasion, and and some of your neighbors are done up specially too. So so uh, Pentecost is a season in the church year, and there's this thing the church does, which is we mark off the seasons of the church year uh, as kind of a visual aid because uh, God gives us visual aids for the seasons out there, right? You know, fall, the colors turn, and so forth. We have visual aids for the seasons of the church year as well. And Pentecost is the shortest season of all. It is, it is today. So really it's kind of, it's kind of crazy to call it a season. And, um, you say, well, there's no harm done. That's because you weren't in here decorating. Um, <laughs> when, when, uh, when you have to decorate for one day and then you put it all away and you have to go up in the attic and so forth. At my last church, we had the same kind of thing. We had the pyramids and so forth. But we also had this rickety, 
a, a curtain rail on the front. We had a, the choir was in the back, you know, that kind of design. So we had the choir in the back part of, or really the front part of the church, the chancel area. And then we had a, a choir, a, a curtain rail here. And it was this rickety thing that was, if, if you looked at it, it would wobble. And if you breathed on it, it would fall apart into like seven or eight pieces. And, and changing the, um, changing the, the curtains, the little curtains was always hard. Um, one day, uh, Shirley Kendrick uh, touched it and it fell apart in the middle of worship and she was embarrassed and I told her, no, actually, that means you're now a member of the church because the rest of us have all done that too. And, uh, nevertheless, her husband came in on Monday and he attached Velcro to the bottom of the posts. And that was actually a smart idea because then it kind of had some, some sturdiness and it didn't fall apart. But I still hated it because when you put the curtains on, they were like dust magnets. And so they would sit here, you know, all year long gathering dust. And I could feel my bronchia closing up just coming near him. So uh, the, the worst thing about Pentecost was you have white last week, you have red today, you have white next week, and then you've got green. And the green lasts until November. And I would basically start to get greedy. As Pentecost got closer, I'd say, why don't we just kind of skip Pentecost? We go straight from white to green and save all this all this work. Uh, but but really, you know, the, there's a deeper question behind that. Why do we celebrate Pentecost? If it's worth celebrating, then sure, go ahead and have the colors, even if I do have to fight a rickety curtain rail. Um, but but why do we celebrate Pentecost? You know, the other the other church holidays are associated with things that make sense to us, um, things that affect us personally. We celebrate Christmas. We celebrate Easter. We celebrate these different holidays, these different seasons in the church because they have a relationship to us. Christmas is where Jesus commits himself uh, to the, the work of salvation. As long as Jesus is up in heaven, he's not committed. He can do what he wants. But when he comes down here, when he's born on earth, then he's basically saying, I'm committed to this project. Good Friday is is the same thing. Jesus is saying, I am going to die for your sins, not just the ones you've already committed, but the ones you're going to commit later today, the ones next week, the ones a month from now. Jesus is is paying the price for my sins and your sins. On Easter, Jesus doesn't simply rise for himself. By rising, Jesus actually destroys the power of death, and none of us can be held in the chains of death either. So these other holidays have personal applications. I can get excited about Easter. I can get excited about Good Friday or Christmas because they have an impact for me. But what is the impact of Pentecost? How does Pentecost relate to us? Well, if you grew up in the church, you say to yourself, well, you know, Pentecost is the birthday of the church. Well, okay, it's the birthday of the church, fine. So what? Well, you know, why do I care? You know, when you're this tall, birthdays are important. When you get older, birthdays don't, don't seem as important as they used to. Maybe ones with round numbers or something, or maybe if you know there's a particular gift in line, you can get excited. And that brings us to the other thing people might say. If they grew up in a church, they would say, well, Pentecost, it marks the coming of the Holy Spirit. And the coming of the Holy Spirit is the point of Pentecost for the first four verses. If you think about it, the colors, the, 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 the symbols of Pentecost, the flames, the wind, you know, even I noticed they've got the dove here. There's no dove in the story, but they're pulling the dove in from a different story. Uh, the dove is the symbol of the Holy Spirit. Um, uh, these things all appear in the first four verses of the story of Pentecost. Everything we read about the Spirit 
all appears in the first four verses. And after that, it's reaction and interpretation. It's Peter telling us about the Holy Spirit. No, he doesn't say almost anything about the Holy Spirit. What he does is he talks about Jesus. So I want to very quickly, now that we've heard kind of what Jesus, uh, what, what was said, I want to very quickly touch on what what the outline of the thing that, that Peter said. It begins with those four verses. The Holy Spirit comes down, gives people these, it appears as tongues of fire. Um, it gives people the ability to speak in different languages. That's four verses. And the crowd is amazed. In fact, the crowd is so amazed it takes eight verses to describe what the crowd's reaction is. Only four verses to describe the event, eight verses to describe the reaction. And then a thirteenth verse is where the, the hecklers heckle. And then Peter gets up and he starts explaining what happened. And Peter, like every good preacher, this is the first sermon we know from the early church. Peter, like every good preacher, begins with a joke. He says, he says, um, it's too early for them to be drunk. What he's saying there is, is not what you would expect. You would expect him to say, these are good Christians. They're not going to get drunk. But instead he says, well, talk to them later today, but they're not drunk yet. He says, it's too early for them to be drunk. So Peter begins with a joke, and then he makes a three-point sermon. The first point, he says, is uh, this is what we expected. The prophet Joel told us a long time ago there would be a day of the Lord, and God would pour out his Holy Spirit on all flesh. That's happened. Okay, that's the first point. Then he says, now let me talk about Jesus. And the, the crowd is going, tell us about the languages. Tell us about the, the, the roar of the wind. Tell us about these other things. But, but Peter says, no, I'm going to talk about Jesus. So he does. He tells them, hey, uh, while we're talking about Old Testament prophecies, let's look at what David had to say about the Messiah. He says, there was this guy 50 days ago. You remember this guy? You, you, you were in the mob screaming for him to be crucified. And they say, yeah. And he says, well, guess what? It turns out he, he matches the criteria that David outlined in, in the prophecies telling us about the Messiah. And he, he, he quotes from verse, uh, from, uh, Psalm one, uh, Psalm 16. He quotes about how, how the one who cannot die, the one who cannot be held in death's grip is the Messiah. And then he says, and maybe you disagree with our interpretation of scripture. That's okay. A whole bunch of us are witnesses to it. So he says, he says, we are all witnesses. And then he says, um, the Lord, the Lord said to the, the Lord God said to the Messiah, sit in the place of honor until I humble your enemies. And then he says this, so let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. So what he's saying is, what are you? Are you his enemies? Because God is going to humble his enemies under his feet. And he's saying, this Jesus, whom you crucified, are you going to be his enemy? And they all say, what should we do? And then Peter says, Peter gives him the third point. He says, what, what do you do? He says, you must repent of your sins, turn to God, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Repent of your sins means change your thinking about sins. Change your thinking from something that, that you don't do because you're a good person. Change your thinking to, uh, to something that I do it, um, but um, God has, has given me the ability to overcome that. Change your thinking about sin um, that... that you cannot remedy your sin. You cannot prevent yourself from sinning. Only God can do it. So turn to God. And then he says, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. The prophet Joel had said, all who call in the name of the Lord will be saved. He says, 
Don't just call on the name of the Lord. He says, be baptized in the name of the Lord. We have this ritual, you know, a sacrament in the church, the sacrament of baptism. Uh, the word actually means to be dunked or to be dipped. It's a word from the dyeing industry. If you got some wool and you wanted to change its color, you would baptize it. You'd dunk it in the dye until it changed colors. He's saying, he's saying, don't just call on the name of the Lord. Be baptized in the name of the Lord. Let it permeate into you and change you from the inside out. So he says, be baptized in the name of the Lord and then receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, if you read the scriptures, there's all kinds of lists of gifts, gifts of the Spirit. There's lots of people who will put together a list of you know, the gift of speaking in tongues or the gift of prophecy. Peter's not talking about that. He's saying, Jesus will connect you back to God. By the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus will connect you back to have a right relationship with God. And other gifts will flow out of that down, down, down through, through the rest of your life. But he says, the gift of the Holy Spirit is you can be reconnected back to God. So, those are Peter's three points. This is the end of time. We are now at the last days and the, the God's, the day of the Lord is at hand. Uh, we are living in that age. Uh, he says, he says, um, that you, you, uh, that, that Jesus is the Messiah and that you have the choice to be his enemy or to be completely forgiven and healed and set right with God by him. So it's up to you. And so Pentecost, shows two things. First of all, it shows that Jesus is still alive because Jesus sends the Spirit. And it shows that Jesus is still in the business of saving people. And all who call on the name of the Lord receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So that's the, that's the sermon that Peter makes. And it's the sermon really for us. It's the, it's, the, it's the question for us. How are we going to relate to God? Are we going to relate to God as enemies? Or are we going to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit by turning to God? So that is... The purpose of Pentecost, it deserves its own season as much as all the others because it's the place where we become, uh, 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 where we receive the gift of God, forgiveness and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Thanks be to God. Amen.